Connecting life and faith. This is Connections. I realized, and, and, and it's clear in the Bible too, when I would sit and be with God and read scripture, that nothing matters more than the condition of our soul. So I could try to micromanage my behavior or, or yeah, be, modify the behavior. I could, I could work really, really hard to, you know, strive for the fruits of the spirit, but that's actually missing the point. Right? We're not we're not supposed to be striving to be these things or to be good. Actually, it's the opposite. When we embrace our identity as um, Christ followers, as people who are made in God's image, then we are already good. And today's guest writes about this in her latest book, Soul Care to Save Your Life. How Radical Honesty Leads to Real Healing. We're joined today by Amanda Carpenter. Not only is she an author, she's a speaker and an advocate committed to helping women grow in their relationships with God, themselves, and others. Today in Connections, she's going to share with us what she wished someone would have shared with her when she was younger. We're joined today by Amanda (laughs) Carpenter. You are an author, a speaker, an advocate, You're also an author, an author of an amazing book that I want to get around to in just a little bit. But first, we want to get to know you a little bit better for listeners who haven't heard of Amanda Carpenter. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, I live in Los Angeles with my husband and uh, we have one biological son, Shia. We are foster parents. We are both creatives and um, goodness, I don't even know what else to share. There's so much, but... uh, what I do for a living is write, speak, and advocate. So I'm really passionate about empowering people in their relationships with God. And I think that actually starts with ourselves. And so I know we're going to talk about that today, but that's a little snippet about me. And uh, for fun, I love cookies. Like I eat cookies every single night. I'm currently on a Milano cookie kick. Um, And so that's just a, a fun fact about me, keeping it real. And I love that you put that out there because if you can see my paper, it says a cookieaholic and an iced latte fanatic. So we love that about you already. Yes. <laughs> uh, you mentioned that you were um, involved in foster care. Tell us a little bit about that and what made you want to do that? Yeah. You know, I always knew I wanted to be a foster parent, at least as far back as I can remember. Um, I think what happened is when I was seven years old, unfortunately, my parents were already divorced and there was a a domestic violent altercation between my dad and my stepmom at the time. And it was horrific. I wrote about that in my book, Soul Care to Save Your Life. Uh, I tell that story and I don't tell it to shame anyone. I actually have a complete restored relationship with my father. But that story really informs people of who I am and why I am the way that I am. And um, what happened is that massive traumatic event in my childhood, it was actually on my seventh birthday, ended up really being the catalyst of this calling, right? Of this calling Mm -hmm. to be a foster parent. I knew when I, you know, became an adult post-college, I was going to do it single or married. I ended up marrying my husband really young. And so, you know, that ended up happening. But I basically realized that there are so many kids who, like me, they don't have bad parents. Their parents aren't monsters. They just need like a temporary home while their parents get the help they need to heal. And so, yeah, that passion is uh, huge in me. And I think that God used some of the circumstances in my childhood to shape that. But we've been fostering for a little over five years. We have taken a break in there since we had our biological son. We are now Um, back at it here in LA. We've fostered 
16 different kids. And I don't say that to be like, look at us um, because that's not what this is about. I just like to give people like a glimpse at the need of foster care. The need is real. Um, there's pretty much never been a time that we've been licensed that we haven't been receiving calls for kids in need. Uh, but the joy is really not only having these kids in your care, but partnering with their families. And so, yeah, that's a big part of our lifestyle. Yeah. Now, you you brought up your book, Soul Care to Save Your Life. Tell us a little bit about this book, why you decided to write it. Yeah. You know, this was the book that I didn't want to write, but I couldn't not write. That's one mm. of the best ways for me to explain it. This is a book where I share everything that I learned in my early life and in my 20s, the hard way. The, uh, I, I want to spare people the hardship and the heartache of learning these lessons, learning that integrity matters more than anything else, for example, right? Um, and so prior to my husband and I becoming foster parents, I it was very early in our marriage, but I was just in a really low place uh, for, for a couple of different reasons. But I made a really bad choice. I made a huge mistake to step outside of my marriage and I was unfaithful. And not only was that massively consequential and really hard to navigate, but I kept it a secret because I was so ashamed. So it it, it became this really dark period of my life. I was super depressed. I was beating myself up. I was um, just living in shame. And that's that's the thing about shame is that it, it totally like grows in secrecy. Mm -hmm. And so... Um, it's almost like the longer it was a secret, the harder it was to come forward. I did eventually come forward and I won't give away everything. And um, in the, it's all written in the book, but I decided this book needed to be written because I knew there was other people, women specifically, who like me, you know, didn't wake up one day and say, I think today's a good day to like screw up my whole life. I think today's a great day to have an affair. Or I think today's a great day to get a DUI or whatever the thing is, right? But there are so many of us, men and women. But the reason I wanted to write this book especially is because I think there's a lot of shame around women and us trying to be perfect. And if we're not perfect or perceived as perfect, that's a big struggle. And that's what Soul Care to Save Your Life is all about. It's about caring for your soul and overcoming this pursuit of perfection that is exhausting, right? I say impressing is exhausting. So if anyone resonates with that, it, the book's for you. Even if your struggles and your personal um, shortcomings pale in comparison to mine, you know, this book gives you the practices. It's 15 practices of how to care for your soul. Many of our listeners, including myself, will relate to what you just said, uh, perfection. And especially in today's society. And like you said, we may not, you know, it may not be the same situation as you it can be anything else. But like today's society, it's all about perfection. How did you manage to look past all of this? How do we all start looking past all of this and start looking into our soul? Because it's like, well, no, we're given this perception that we need to do this nowadays. And our little kids are even in this little category already. Totally. Yeah. I don't know if I could have gotten here on my own, to be totally honest with you. I think it required for me that just kind of the breaking and mess of my life, that hitting rock bottom. But I hope that I can prevent, you know, help people get to this place before they hit a low point in their life and make a mess of it. But I realized, and 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 it's clear in the Bible too, when I would sit and be with God and read scripture, that nothing matters more than the condition of our soul. So I could try to micromanage my behavior or, or yeah, be, modify the behavior. I could 
I could work really, really hard to, you know, strive for the fruits of the spirit, but that's actually missing the point, right? We're not, we're not supposed to be striving to be these things or to be good. Actually, it's the opposite. When we embrace our identity as um, Christ followers, as people who are made in God's image, then we are already good. And so what would it look like for us to flip the script? I don't need to strive to be better. I don't need to strive to be good and change. But actually, I'm going to surrender to the belief and the knowing that I am already good because I made it in the image of God who is good. And what might that change? And for me, I realized it changed everything. And from there, it was, oh, wow, how what does this tangibly look like then for me? Because it kind of sounds very like woo woo or something. But but really, what does it look like on a very practical level in my relationship with God? to care for my soul. And so I started looking in scripture and like looking at the life of Jesus, because I think it's modeled so beautifully, but caring for your soul, it's not these tasks that you can just add to your to-do list, which feels really good. But unfortunately it's, it's, it's deeper than that. It's all the things that nobody can see. Um, it's asking the right questions. It's surrounding yourself with people who are, who are mirror holders. And so I really break it down in the book, in the 15 chapters, um, with these practices, but it's it's such important work. And unfortunately, in a world where everything is on display with social media, this type of thing gets put on the back burner or neglected entirely, which is which is so sad because then what ends up happening is people hit their rock bottom or if they're a public figure, we see them have a public fall and it's just catastrophic for a whole community. And I think that doing this work on an individual and in our on an individual level, but also within our communities is vital uh, for so many reasons. So, um, yeah, I'm clearly still so passionate about it. And I wrote this book, you know, several years ago now, and I can't stop talking about it. I love that. When it comes to our health, all we think about is, you know, our physical health. We think of our, our mental health is a huge thing nowadays that people actually think about. But like you said, we don't, we don't think about soul, our soul care. We don't think about our spiritual care. We don't think about that health. I love that you included soul care right in your title, how radical honesty leads to real healing. Why did you choose to go with that title for this book? Yeah. Um, you know, we played around with a lot of different titles. And at the end of the day, we went with something that we felt like was just very clear. I know it might steer some people away because they might not think it's for them, but I'm hoping in hearing conversations like this that they will realize it actually is for everybody, that no one is exempt or immune from needing soul care. Um, I chose soul care because we're in a world where like, self-care and self-love is all the rage. And I wrote this in the book, but I believe that self-love without self-awareness is actually delusional and destructive. And soul care requires both. It requires you to both love yourself and to be aware of yourself. And so I, I explain that more in depth. And the save your life part is because I actually believe that we're all out here trying to chase happiness and a better life and all these things. And that's not bad per se, but that ultimately all, all of those pursuits will probably lead us to the same place. And that if we actually want to save our life, if we want to make the most of our life, if we want to be people who, when we are, you know, old and gray, we look back and say, oh, I didn't waste it, you know, and, and, and we're not full of regret and shame, then I think soul care is the path to get there. I think it's a daily practice that we can engage in. And so I wanted to you know, share my story and shares what's worked for me, but also just 
be real about what I've learned through scripture and um, make it as applicable as possible for people who are wanting to embark on a journey of transformation. If, if, uh, if like me, you maybe have a messy past and you're like, man, I don't want to keep making the same mistakes over and over again. I, I'm not broken. There's something that can be done about this. Then this is the book for you to pick up because it really will teach you how to improve all of your relationships from, from the relationship you may have with a spouse to an in-law, to your children. If there's repair that needs done, it's not too late. And that's who this book is for. One thing that you say is that you need to take ownership of your path to growth. You did exactly that. What was that like for you to be so vulnerable, to be so open and to share a story that typically we're like, I'm not sharing this with the world because no, 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 no. Like nobody needs to know this. You took ownership. You've you've obviously seen growth. What did that feel like for you personally? Yeah, I love that you're asking this question. So I personally came up with the subtitle, Radical Honesty Leads to Real Healing. And the reason I came up with that subtitle is because, you know, I didn't want to be formulaic about it because this is more holistic work than that. However, when I got really, really clear about my story and about my transformation and journey with Jesus, what what became evident to me is, is that that was the breakthrough. That was the pathway forward. The, the, the way to real, true, lasting healing was radical honesty. And I obviously go in depth about what that is and what it looks like on a practical level. But here's the kicker. I, when I tried to write the book the first time around, I didn't want to tell the story of my infidelity and then my confession to my husband. And the confession to my husband was a big part of this radical honesty leading to real healing because I could have just kept it swept under the rug and taken it to my grave. I know there are people who do that. Uh, the problem was I actually couldn't. I was struggling so severely with depression over over what had happened. And we're not just talking about clinical depression, but situational depression, depression that was linked directly to the mistake that I had made and the shame I was carrying. And so um, all, all of that to say, when I was writing the book the first time around, I didn't want to tell that story, right? I was terrified of what people would think of me. Would they, would they write me off? Or, you know, it, it was like, I didn't want to relive all of my worst moments, but yet I realized that if we want to proclaim God's goodness, if we want to show people how you got where you are today, you have to be willing to go back and to say, here's what God brought me out of. Here's what I've been rescued from. Here's what's been healed in me. And so I knew that if I was going to keep uh, that subtitle and the honesty of this story, I had to be willing not only to share it, uh, to do it in real life, but then to share it publicly with people. And honestly, it has been such an incredible experience because when you go first in confession, when you go first saying, I struggle with this, or I've done this in my past or whatever it is, it, I mean, that type of vulnerability draws people to you and it allows them, it gives them permission to then open up. And so my, both on an individual level and then with my husband, we have been able to speak to so many people who after hearing our story or reading the book are like, oh, this is a part of our story or, or, or especially when it's like fresh, like, oh, this just happened and we don't know if we're going to make it through it. But then they hear our story. It gives hope and it eliminates shame. And I'm not saying we should normalize bad behavior, but I think we need to normalize that we are all imperfect people in a world where everyone is trying to make it seem like they are perfect and their life is perfect. It's just not real. And it's a standard that is impossible to live up to. And so this, this book was my way of like waving my white flag saying, I surrender. Like I'm not doing it anymore. Here I am. 
you're welcome here with all of your brokenness too. We're going to figure it out together. So yeah, it's been so beautiful. It's been a great journey. You mentioned a little bit about response and what people have said. What what has the response been to your book and what kind of people have been stepping forward? Because I know personally when people share stories like yourself, there's just this weight lifted. You're like, wow, like we are, like you just said, we are imperfect people and we're not alone. We're not alone yeah. is a huge thing. Yeah, yeah. There's been so much. Everything from other people who are married, who have stepped outside of their marriage, who now want to come forward, um, maybe like me, and I tell the story in the book, but I didn't get caught. And I waited 11 months to tell my husband. I mean, it's not like I was uh-huh. counting, like, I'll wait till 11 months. It was every single day was, I want to tell him this is weighing on me. I feel so guilty. I'm so ashamed, but I couldn't. Anyways, by the time I did tell him it had been 11 months, I'm not proud of that. But that just goes to show the the way that shame will totally imprison you. And, um, so I've had so many people reach out in the similar situation of feeling so weighed down by it. I've had people come out about their sexuality. I've had people come out about, uh, past abortion, uh, people who, whatever it is, and, and we all have our own convictions. So some of these things that people have come to me about, it's sin to them, maybe not to somebody else. And, and so my definition of sin is anything that separates you from God. So whatever that is for you. I I actually had a friend. This is a really cool moment. I had a really close friend who I thought we knew everything about each other. One of those kind of friendships. And she said, because of your book, I went to my husband and I told him about the credit card debt that I've been hiding from him from like a major shopping addiction. And, you know, I, I was so thankful, not only that that was possible for her to have that conversation with him, but that she then felt comfortable enough to tell me when she clearly hadn't before. But the reason she hadn't before is because we we really didn't visit my low moments in our regular coffee hangouts, right? So it was when she read the book and she really saw all of me that I think she felt safe and comfortable enough to then come forward with with the stuff that she struggles with and the things that she's ashamed of. And so it has just been um, really eye-opening and and just a reminder, I think I already knew, like, I'm not the only one who's screwing up, but it was like, wow, there are so many people who are in the place that I was in, in this first two chapters of the book, the lowest point of their life. And I get to serve as sort of like a life raft where it's like, you can barely keep your head afloat. And then somebody gives you a life raft and it's like, no, 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 like I'm with you. I've been there and I'm on the other side. Now you're going to be Okay. And that's powerful. We need more of it. And and especially in a world where I think we're seeing less and less of it because of the pressure to portray yourself a certain way all the time in person and on the internet. Social media. It's um it's great, but it's also horrible all at the same time. Going yeah. back to soul care, going back to a little bit about what you mentioned at the beginning, there are some practices that we can do to to start taking care of our soul and getting into soul care. Is this different for everybody or is it the same thing for everybody? Yeah, I love this question. The reason that the soul care practices I listed for each chapter are not hyper-specific and they're actually a little more general and broad is because I wanted to make sure this was applicable and accessible for everyone in the way that is unique to them. So I didn't say, wake up every Tuesday at 6 a.m. and read your Bible for an hour. That's soul care. Maybe that is soul care for you. But to be honest, that would not be soul care for me. I don't want to wake up (laughs) at 6 a.m. every Tuesday and read my Bible. That sounds terrible. 
So, so for example, the practices are, are, are worded very intentionally in a different way. So soul care practice number one is identify your hidden secrets. That is going to look dramatically different from person to person. Uh, soul care number four, give and receive grace generously. And the chapters really teach you what this means, what it looks like. I tell the stories of how I got there and how this became a core part of my existence and the way that I try to live my life. But that looks different for everybody. It's not give a certain amount, right? Like if we get so specific, then that that doesn't help anyone. This isn't similar to the way I view my relationship with the Lord. It's not religious and rules-based and legalistic. It's so much more relational than that. And in a relationship, like my relationship with you is going to be different than your relationship with your best friend. In the same way, I think that the practices of soul care, I don't, I don't know, maybe it's because I grew up in a church where it was very much like, you're supposed to read your Bible this many minutes a day, you're supposed to pray, and it looks like this and sounds like this. And it was so, I don't know, like, I think they were trying to do a really good thing by equipping us with the ability to yes. connect with our creator and to grow spiritually. But I think as I grew older, I realized that maybe had done some damage and I needed to kind of undo that and figure out what what did the relationship with God look like for me? And so I pray differently than I was taught to pray. I don't pray with my eyes closed anymore. I pray talking out loud while I drive half the time. Right. You know, so the same is true with these practices of soul care. You know, number six, live in a rhythm of real. R-E-A-L. That looks different for everyone. And this book, this, this radical honesty that leads to real healing and, and what I'm saying today, it doesn't mean that everyone needs to air their stuff on the internet. That is not the ask or the call for this book uh, or for what I'm saying here. Trust me, I do not think it would be helpful if everyone did what I did and says, I had an affair in my past. And here's, you know, like, I actually don't think that's, that's what it is. Um, but there is something for everyone. And there is someone that everyone by, by showing up real and by, you know, kind of dropping the facade that, that you can help and that you can help um, kind of illuminate the path forward. So I think we're, this is not a me book in the sense that it's all about, it is all about doing your inner work, but it's, it's not selfish. It's not self-absorbed. It's actually going to serve everyone around you. So it's for all of us. For those out there that are interested in in learning these practices, in trying to figure things out, and they want to learn more about you or the book, Soul Care to Save Your Life, how can they go about doing that? Yeah, the book is available on Amazon, pretty much anywhere on the internet where books are sold. So it's called Soul Care to Save Your Life. And my name's Manda Carpenter. I have a website, mandacarpenter.com. And I hang out on Instagram a lot. That's where I kind of try to cultivate community. And we're just a group of people who don't have a fake bone in our body. So if that describes you, come join us. Now, what about that person out there that may be listening going, well, uh, no, 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 no. They're like, there's no hope. What I did is so unbelievably horrible. How can God love me? How am I even someone that he would want to love? Mm -hmm. What would you say to that person out there that is just like, no, there is no hope. Uh, -uh The soul care ain't going to work for me. (laughs) Yeah, you know, I'd say me too. Like that was, that was so clearly where I was at. Like, I really believed I had committed the unforgivable sin and it was better off for me to just die. And, and I wrote about the suicidal ideation and the plan that I formed and it was horrible. Um, and I'm on the other side now saying, oh my gosh, that's crazy that I ever thought that I, that, that on the other side of truth needed to be death. 
that that on the other side of truth couldn't be life because now I wake up to this life every day that is beyond my wildest imaginations. It's so freaking good and I'm so um, incredibly thankful. And I just want to grab that person by the shoulders and shake them and say like, no, 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 no. Like, take, just give me a chance. Like, trust me. Well, really don't trust me. Trust God. But let, let me hold your hand and walk you home. Let, let's do this together. Um, and that's kind of how I've approached a lot of things in life is everything an experiment. So maybe you don't, you don't take, you know, the leap today, but you take one small step forward and you just trust. Okay. One small step. What, what does that look like? And, and you give it a shot. So I'm, I'm asking, I know it's crazy, but I'm asking people to just try it, to, to trust what I'm saying to be true. And, um, and I, and I think, also, if they need someone to share something with who won't react like it's the craziest thing in the world, then, um, you know, whether it's me or someone else that they know that loves them, like it's it's out there and it'll happen. But you you have to trust. You have to just give it a shot. You just made me think of another question. I was about to end the interview, but then something came to me <laughs> when it comes to all of these situations. Though right now is a church. Churches struggle with this kind of stuff. It's not typically the place you're going to go to. You want to go there, right? Because like, hey, God is the guy who's going to like help me out and save me. But the church is kind of the scary place to go to. How, as a church, can we do a better job at helping those who are struggling with this imperfection? Yeah, love that you brought this up because I got to preach a sermon at a church in San Diego shortly after my book came out. And one of the biggest like encouragements I had for them was I said, you know, what's the point of all this? As we stood there or they sat, I was standing there on the stage and I said, what's the point of all this? And kind of looked around. And I know that if Jesus came here in the flesh and took a look at our churches, he might have some things to say about them. I don't know if he'd flip some tables, maybe, but <laughs> I, I, I brought them to a passage in James, a specific verse in James, where it says, if you confess your sins to one another, you will be healed. And my encouragement, my challenge for people, especially I've worked at a church, so I can say this coming from a place of having been on staff. It is it is hard. It is not easy work. But what I would say is we have to come back to the, the real core point of why we're doing all of it. And if we're not a place where people can be transparent and their full self, like, what's the point? What's, you know, we're, the point is not to get dolled up on Sunday morning and like exchange the, 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 have your little exchanges in the foyer before you go in. And when you come out and pretend like everything's fine with a smile on your face, when really you're breaking inside or you're dying inside over all the things that have happened to you or that you have done or whatever. And so my encouragement would be churches not only cultivate community, but cultivate really radically honest community. And that means leaders need to go first. The more willing you are to be transparent and to go first in confessing your past, your present mistakes, your struggles, the more likely other people are going to follow suit. And I think that will help eliminate that, uh, that need for people to feel perfect or to be perceived as perfect in your space. And I think that's the way forward. The beauty that can come out of that is just absolutely amazing. Oh, totally. There's there's nothing like it until you experience it for yourself. Definitely. It's, it's the biggest breath of fresh air. <laughs> and you are the perfect example. I love it. You are a breath of fresh air. And I love how you came on the show today and you're in your pajamas. Like, that's great. I'm in my that pajamas. That just says it all. That is the perfect way <laughs> to do things. Thank you so much for being vulnerable, for being yourself. 
and being imperfect and sharing that all with us today. We really appreciate it. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. And thank you so much for joining us and for listening today. Don't forget to subscribe. We'll talk to you again on Connections.